Well, good morning. Good morning. It is so good to be with you, to uh, have this opportunity to share God's word, to share in this time of worship, to share in a time of prayer, thanksgiving, all in honor of our God. As we come uh, to our time of scripture this morning, I want to ask if you would take a moment to bow your heads and pray with me. Holy God, we give you thanks this morning for your word. We thank you that we can come and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will speak to us through these words on a page to the very spirit within us. So God, open our hearts and our minds that we would receive your word this morning, that it would be pressed upon our hearts and minds, that it would not leave us this week. And now, God, I pray that you would take these words of mine and that you would turn them from water into wine. Because, God, you have promised to take the foolish things of this world to shame the wise You take the simple things and do great miracles with them. So do it now in our hearing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, well, how about the headlines these days, huh? Anyone needing, wanting, longing for a change? What has happened to us as a society that we allow so much information into our minds that is not even necessary, and most of it not even helpful. I keep hearing the question over and over in my own head, now what? Now what? How is this headline going to tell me something different from the last one? And it's sad that we've come to a place of not even really feeling that we can trust those who are to be bringing us the news. So many contradictions or nuances in the storytelling. But we have one storyteller that we can always trust. So let's look to some scripture this morning. Oh, please, let us turn to the Lord. Our scripture this morning comes from chapter 37 of Genesis. I hope you'll turn there with me as your Bibles, I'm sure, are handy at home. Genesis chapter 37, we'll read parts of the chapter, but we'll start at the beginning with verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel, that's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word of him. Now to verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, 
Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? He replied, I am looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I, I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him in this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben, who was an older brother, said this to rescue him from, from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah, another older brother, said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, the boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? This is the word of God for the people of God. Oh, this is just the beginning of the story. This, we're just getting started. Dear Joseph, poor Joseph. Joseph, who at the beginning was a tattletale, went and told on his brothers, and it seemed to get him a reward. He was the favored child, and his father gave him a special coat. Here it called it ornate. Maybe you've seen the, the musical or even been in it, the amazing Technicolor dream coat. We love to talk about that story. Um, it's just so much fun. What about, though, that perhaps this was a bit more than just a fancy coat? What it really signified, right? These brothers who were out tending flocks would have had a, a coat that had shorter sleeves so that it wouldn't get caught. Here, Joseph is now being rewarded with a coat that prohibits him from going and tending flocks, prohibits him from doing the work in the field. Instead, he has longer sleeves, ornate even. Joseph, the favorite, the one who now is put in a higher position in the family. Of course the brothers hated him. Part of the section that we skipped over, Joseph actually told them that he had had two different dreams on different occasions where all of his brothers were going to bow down to him. Oh my goodness, who does he think he is? Talk about family drama. 
And this is really just the beginning of Joseph's story. After hearing how Joseph was sold into slavery, you might wonder, how could anything good come from this? Joseph's story has a lot of this good and bad all mixed up in it. While he was sold into slavery, he was still alive. Even though he found himself a service to, to a man named Potiphar, he became the manager of Potiphar's house and all of his things. Potiphar's wife, however, had an eye for Joseph. And when Joseph would not please her and do as she wished, she made accusations against him, which put him in jail. But when he got to jail, those there realized his potential, and he now became in charge of other prisoners. While he's in jail, there are these two men who were servants of Pharaoh, a cupbearer and, and a breadmaker. They both had dreams, and Joseph said, I'll interpret them for you. While the breadmaker would soon meet his end, the cupbearer would be restored to his position. Joseph simply asked, Remember me to the Pharaoh. Years go by. Joseph still in prison. Pharaoh has a dream. The cupbearer remembers. I know someone who can tell dreams. He brings Joseph to Pharaoh. Joseph tells Pharaoh the meaning of these dreams. There will be many years of plenty and many years of famine. Pharaoh then exalts him to the second place in all of Egypt. And Joseph rules over all of the land. Famine does come. Famine comes not only to Egypt, but to all the surrounding area. And his brothers find themselves coming to Egypt to seek out that man who could potentially give them food. That man is their brother Joseph. And while they do not realize it at first, what ends up happening is a beautiful family reunion of redemption and forgiveness, a family restored. The seasons of Joseph's life, the times of despair, and yet he had these dreams. He had this hope. He, he found this character within himself that even in prison, even in slavery, he still allowed who he was to take hold and be his foundation. I might suggest that the difficulty that we are experiencing in these days, when we are surrounded by what seems test after test, while we are finding ourselves full of despair and uncertainty, even anger and discouragement, we have that same hope, that same character that God has placed within us to bring us through. In Isaiah, if you've been reading with us through the Bible in a year, we've recently read through Isaiah. 
life was not easy. Being faithful to God, surrounded by the culture of the day, was not easy. But Isaiah says in chapter 40, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those whose hope is in the Lord. The question for us then is, are we finding ourselves drawn to God in the scriptures in these times of testing and turmoil? Or are we finding ourselves falling deeper into pits of despair and skepticism? When we allow our hearts and minds to focus on God and the scriptures, our skepticism and doubt are turned to utter amazement at his goodness and provision. Joseph's story is one of slavery, of false accusation, years in prison, not to mention that family drama. And that was all before he was even able to use his God-given wisdom and understanding to help hundreds and thousands. It wasn't the wave of a magical wand that made everything better in an instant. It took time, lots of time, and bit by bit, Joseph's life began to change for the better, even restoring the relationship with his family. Now that is utterly amazing. Why do we doubt God in times like these? Why do we allow our surroundings to have so much control over us? Do you remember or, or even know the story of Peter walking on the water with Jesus? Let's go there for a moment. In Matthew chapter 14, Jesus and the disciples had been with a great crowd and it was, it was the next day, and, and Jesus had put his disciples into the boat to go on ahead of him to the other side of the lake while Jesus went to the mountainside by himself to pray. While he was in prayer and the, and the disciples were on the sea, a great storm came, and it was very tumultuous, and the disciples were afraid. And as the storm was raging, Jesus came walking on this stormy sea, and they were not sure who was coming. They, they thought maybe it was Jesus, but perhaps it could be a ghost of some sort. And when he got close enough, Peter said, Jesus, is that you? And then he said, yes. And he said, if it's really you, have me come to you and walk on this water. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter took the step out of the boat and he began walking on this horribly tumultuous, crazy, storm-ridden sea. And as he was walking, as he was walking, the storm overwhelmed him. The things around him took hold and he took his focus off of Jesus and he began to sink. Even though Jesus was right in front of him, and Jesus immediately, in verse 31, it says, Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? 
And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Why do you doubt? Why do we doubt? Well, Jesus, I doubted because even though I could see you, I could also see the way the sea was being tossed about by the storm. Because it wasn't a calm day on the lake with the water like a like glass. It was rough and distracting. And I'm just skeptical by nature. Who wouldn't doubt when you're surrounded by such chaos? Life offers up seasons of disappointment and despair. If we're not careful, we can become very skeptical and even cynical. I read a little conversation this week, thanks to Marcy Shore, that Andy Stanley, son of Charles Stanley, shared the other day. Andy said this, Sometimes I just wanted to stop. Talk of COVID, looting, brutality. I lose my way. I become convinced that this new normal is real life. Then, Andy said, I met an 87-year-old who talked of living through polio and diphtheria, the Vietnam protests, and yet is still enchanted with life. Andy said he seemed surprised when he said that 2020 must be especially challenging for this 87-year-old. No, he said slowly, looking him straight in the eyes. The older gentleman said, I learned a long time ago to not see the world through the printed headlines. I see the world through the people around me. I see the world with the realization that we love big. Therefore, I just choose to write my own headlines. Husband loves wife today. Family drops everything to come to grandma's bedside. He patted Andy's hand and said, Old man makes new friend. His words collide with my worries, Andy said, freeing them from the tether I had been holding tight. They float away. I am left with renewed spirits and a new way to write my own headlines. As believers in God, as followers of Jesus, as people of the word, we have something much greater than all that the world throws at us. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within each one of us. We can say that we will not allow the headlines of the day to overtake the utter amazement we have every day in the goodness of our God. Disappointment is real. Chaos is real. This season is real. Despair is real. COVID is real. While these things are real, they do not define us, and they certainly do not define God. When we are in the midst of a season of turmoil, when we find ourselves being tossed by the sea of skepticism, when we feel like we are sinking, even though we can see Jesus right there. Do not doubt. 
truly the Son of God is on our side. As, as Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Will you just take a little step back with me from the headlines? Will you take a step back and just be utterly amazed by who our God is? Instead of being hyper-focused on the headlines and yesterday's despair, look with me to what God is doing and providing. Look with me to the headlines we can be confident, woman saved by grace. But for God, there go I. Child welcomed into family. Neighbors helping neighbors. Family and friends help with new roof. Jesus is truly the Son of God. God is utterly amazing. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, God who is and was and is yet to come, God who has seen every day and has not left us once, we give you thanks and praise for being a God who says even in the midst of the despair, even in the midst of the hard times, even in the midst of these seasons that have come, you are still God. This season will pass. And yet, there is good among us. There is good within us. There is good that you declare through your Son, Jesus Christ, that we are to proclaim in every moment and every season. And so, holy God, won't you amaze us again by your grace and your goodness that we would take a step back from the harried life that surrounds and walk every day in your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.